Blog Talk Radio. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome, everyone, to Going in Circles Live. It's Tuesday at uh, 3 o'clock today. We're an hour later than uh, than normal. But uh, we have a couple hours to talk to you about several different things, topics pertaining to racing. We have uh, a couple guests, uh, good guests. Uh, Cherie DeVoe, who is a trainer on the Kentucky-Florida circuit, who uh, has emerged as a uh, as an excellent conditioner of, of young horse, primarily fillies. Uh, she's going to join us at 3.30 to talk about her start, and uh, hopefully she gives me a, a, enough uh, credit for, for, for making her do this. Otherwise, we're not sure where she would be at this point. <laughs> but that's a long story that we'll I'm sure we'll, we'll bring up later. At 4 o'clock, we have with us Chad Summers from New York to talk about various issues in New York and the surrounding areas and racing in general. And um, I think that uh, there's a there's a few a few really per- pertinent topics that um, that we'll go over. And Chad is uh, is kind enough to to join us at uh, at four or a little after four. And we're also um, we're taking phone calls today. If anyone has any questions uh, about um, anything we're talking about, or, or honestly anything in racing in general, we we had uh, some questionable, <laughs> and that's being kind decisions by the stewards in two thoroughbred locations and the the judges who who are essentially the stewards and harness uh on Sunday at uh, at the Red Mile who made a baffling decision uh and I know most people who listen to the show are are really more orientated towards thoroughbreds but the standard breds have a lot of the same issues that we have matter of fact a lot of the issues that they have they had before we had uh, our issues, um, and, and there's there's certainly a, a lot of crossover um, problems. There, there's probably more crossover ownership than than there ever has has been before. Uh, Lindy Farms is one one of the largest standard bred owners and breeders for my entire life. Basically, um, they have kind of gotten into thoroughbreds, it dabbled. I mean, compared to their harness. Um, investment, but um, the, there is some crossover, and uh, and their judges are just as incapable of ours uh, of making decisions that seem to be. Um, it's a basic. You know, people talk a lot about um, about basic uh, rights, and I think if you're in the horse racing if you if you're a better 
if you own horses, you train horses, you're you're involved somehow, you have a right to competent regulators. We don't choose who our regulators are. Those are they're given to us in many ways. Some tracks are uh, employ stewards with one state representative. Some others do it differently. Naira does it. Um, one state representative, one uh, jockey club representative, one Naira representative. And there are a lot of good stewards. Don't get me wrong. There's there's guys that that do an excellent job, that understand the rule book, that um, they adjudicate the issues put forth in front of them properly. And I think it's important to realize, too, that stewards, their only job isn't uh, watching the races and, and, and calling disqualifications or not or finding jockeys or that. There's a lot of other things that go into being a steward that behind the scenes aren't really very glamorous and um, require a lot of paperwork and things such as that. But we've gotten to the point in this country in particular that for me, I don't know what a foul is anymore. I don't know. I'll be honest. You used to watch a race. You'd see an incident, and you could watch it. They'd show the replay once or twice, and you'd say, with about a 90% certainty, okay, this horse is probably coming down, or no, that doesn't look like nearly enough. This horse is probably staying up. And, of course, there was ever there was always um, calls that you might not have agreed with, close calls, calls that um, maybe happened in an area at the on, on the racetrack that the angle wasn't great, and it, it becomes a complete discretion. And and of course, you go back far enough and you are just dealing with the races that are in front of you. You're, there is no social media. You're not watching uh, seven tracks a day. You're not getting up-to-the-minute up to updates on Twitter. You're not seeing replays instantly on your telephone. So, yes, you're getting a lot more information from a lot more places. So if you're watching uh, 75 races a day, you're much more likely to come across an incident than you would if you were watching nine or ten races a day. That being said, the frequency in which there is outrage about Stewart's decisions on fouls on the racetrack, it's like a regular basis. I said on the podcast that I had with Barry last night, I don't even want to talk about California anymore and the way they adjudicate the races. I don't even want to talk about it. Because it makes zero sense. And California is a disaster in the, the regulatory compass. The component out there is just, a, it's a mess. It's a mess. There's so many agendas. There's so many politicians involved. There's so many grandstanding people. There's so much nonsense going on. I feel terrible for people that are participating out there. I really do. I feel bad for the guys that have to bet that. And have to live with these decisions where they're just taking money out of your pocket. And what about the people who pay the bills on those horses? What about the trainers? What about the grooms that take care of those horses that have the wind stolen from them? Because the steward wants to act like they're they're smarter than everybody else. 
It's, it's, it's a huge problem. We don't train our stewards in this country. We essentially have no training. They're essentially not trained. They're certified. There's an accreditation program. But that's it. That's it. That's all we have. Where's, who, do, who do they answer to? I mean, last year in the Kentucky Derby, obviously was probably maybe the single most um, uh, controversial decision made by stewards, maybe ever. And whatever way you feel about it, it was a, it was a 50-50 call, I, I, I would guess. I, I probably would call it a 60-40. I think about 60% of the people who watched it thought it was the wrong call. And honestly, I don't think there's a lot of 50-50s. I think a lot of them are 70-30s. But the way it was handled, where the stewards came down, <laughs> Martin McGee touched on this a few weeks back, they came down, they said, well, this is what we did, and, and we're not taking any questions, and they left. And to me, that, that's a cop-out. And, this, I, and, and, you know, a lot of things always get thrown in our face in racing. And for the most part, the media has been um, chopped down to the point where there's hardly any actual media that doesn't work for an ADW or racetrack. or you know, There's very little unbiased media. And there's virtually no newspaper re- reporters left that do, do, do thoroughbred racing. It, it's, it's almost all freelance, part-time. And, and as such... Things like this get uh, become acceptable. Oh well, there there might be potential litigation, so we can't call. We we can't talk. Well, hold on. If there's potential litigation, that means you go to court. If you go to court, that means you have to tell the truth. So why not just tell us the truth? What was your reasoning behind taking the horse down? We bet 150 million dollars on the race. Shouldn't we get an explanation? Shouldn't we be forced to take questions? Sometimes I think it's better off that they don't say anything. I mean, the statement by the presiding judge at the Red Mile yesterday was it was ludicrous. I mean, it's as though <clears throat> excuse me, it's as though they think we can't watch the replay ourselves. When the guy says, "Well, we put a clock on it, and, and the horse didn't uh, gain ground for eight point three seconds," what? It's just, uh, I mean, real money is being played. Now, that was a $3,800 purse that was a, a race on a Sunday afternoon at the Red Mile, not in the Grand Circuit season. That There wasn't a whole lot of stake at stake in that race. I, I understand. But soon there'll be a lot of stake. There'll be hundreds of thousands of dollars of stake money available in the Grand Circuit. And the betting handle will, will go up quite a bit. But the decision-making process still is broken. There was a there was a, a, a takedown in the Island on Saturday at Monmouth where Paco Gonzalez, or Paco Lopez, excuse me, he deserves a, a, a daytime Emmy for the acting job he put on. And, and the, the irony of the ironies is that the other jockey, 
George Vargas came over on uh, on Paco, making he came down from the five path to the two path, but he never crossed over in front of him. He never uh, swerved in front of him, which are two words in the actual rule book. And he did to Paco what Paco does to everyone else. And Paco took up on the horse right before the wire, and they bought it. They bought it in a stake race. It, it was just coming on the heels of of Thursday's first race at Del Mar, where the one horse was taken down out of the first race for for seemingly for the transgressions of the two horse. Um, you just can't make this up. And we don't need to go to uh, politicians or change laws to, to fix this. We have $11 billion bet on thoroughbred racing. We have an un, a few billion dollars worth of economic um, activity in, in racing. And a lot of it is based upon who finishes first and second and third in races. And the people that are essentially the the arbiters of that, they're they're not doing a good job in a lot of time uh, at a lot of places. And I just don't know why this is not something that isn't ever brought up. The Jockey Club Roundtable had Greg uh, or Greg Lamond and Bob Costas. Yeah, nice, great. Sal Sinatra's p- section was uh, about um, changing race eligibility, trying to do things differently, was actually a very cognizant and, and, and meaningful uh, segment. It, it actually has relation to the races and, and positive um it could have a positive effect on racing in general. But why can't we talk about doing a better job in the booth, in the steward's booth? And if you're taking offense at this, if you're a steward, then that's that's the problem. Everyone can get better at their job. Everyone. And I don't see any effort being made anywhere in thoroughbred racing to make stewards better at their job. And don't give me the accreditation program because it's a nice start. And if you had a whole load of coursework, if someone could fail a test and not become accredited, And I think that if you don't have, you don't have to, to, if you don't have someone watching over what you do and questioning you and asking you why was this done, why was that done, the NBA has had issues with their referees. And as the players have gotten bigger and stronger and faster, the game has gotten faster, and it's gotten harder to, to ref. And you have cameras now. The, the 
the cameras are, are so good and so clear. The pictures are so good and so clear that that it it was hard for people to keep up with with that. And they've had issues, and, and they've worked on them, and they've tried um, to do better, to grade these referees on every single call they make and don't make. And the referees are, are all privy to that information. When they make a mistake, they're told, they're shown, there's, there's, there's understanding. And they started a few years back releasing what's called the, the last two-minute report, <clears throat> essentially explaining mistakes that were made or not made in the last two minutes of the game. And there's been quite a few errors that they've fessed up for. They've said this was not the right call, this was not the right call. Of course, at that time, the game is over, and there's nothing you can do about it. But it was transparency, and it was an attempt to get it done better. And an NBA referee makes probably has to make a hundred decisions, maybe 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 two hundred decisions per game on whether to blow the whistle or not blow the whistle on on lots of different things. Stewards have nine or ten races. We we need to do it better. We need to do a better job. If there is a drug positive, and I'm not saying a Bob Baffert drug positive because those all, of course always bring New York Times headlines. But there's just a regular old fourth race at um, Arlington Park, and there's a, a the horse who finishes uh, first gets taken down or loses his purse six months after the fact because he had an overage of some kind of therapeutic medication. Of course, you're going to still penalize the people, and, and probably there's someone that's going to be out there that says, hey, I bet on the runner-up in that race. Man, I should have got paid. But when the stewards take you down from a race when you're still holding the ticket, especially when it's like Thursday's call or Saturday's call, where it just doesn't meet the standard that we're used to. And the standard we're used to is, is nebulous at best. At best, it's nebulous. We're not even sure a lot of times. You, you see this virtually the same incident one day is, is taken down, one day is not taken down. But that feels like you're taking money out of someone's pocket. When you get disqualified and you, you, you train a ho- or own a horse and they take you down for something like that, something that you saw happen the very last week or, 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 or some short time frame, it feels like they're stealing money out of your pocket. And nothing is worse than that. Nothing is worse than that. It's bad enough that we have horses that go off at, at 9 to 5 that left the gate at 3 to 1, where you feel like someone reached in your pocket and, and skimmed a little off the top. But to get disqualified and get nothing back because of, of, a, of a minor incident that the last five times something similar happened, the horse didn't come down. That's that's what makes people want to stop coming. And can we do? Can we please do away with it? There's one thing that has never made sense to me in the modern era of watching races, stewards, re- replay, and, and such. Can we please have the stewards stop talking to the jockeys? It's unfair, it's needless, and it's stupid. 
It's dumb. Talk to the jockeys the next day at films. That's the proper place. It's unfair to talk to two jockeys about an incident in a race when you have videotape. Very, very clear videotape of what happened. You don't need the opinions of the participants. It just doesn't make any sense. If you have deemed uh, an inquiry necessary, you don't. You no longer need the, the, the opinions of these people. If the jockey claims foul, all he has to do is claim foul. I claim foul against the four horse for interference, period. He can tell the outrider that. That's it. You don't need... It, it's unfair. It's patently unfair. When they're talking to the leading jockey, someone who they're familiar with, someone who's been there for a long time, maybe someone who has a much better grasp of English, versus talking to a, an apprentice who's nervous, who's maybe never been through the process or, or hasn't been through the process much or or, or doesn't speak English as, as well as, as he is, is the uh, the other jockey or is a little self-conscious about it why should that be a factor what can they possibly tell you I'd like to know has any jockey ever said yeah you know what don't take me down or you know I shouldn't come down or excuse me or, or the other way uh, you know what maybe maybe you just leave me up or leave the other guy up nah, it wasn't that big of a deal I mean what is the point of talking to them it doesn't make sense Sometimes we have traditions in this sport that just don't make any sense. This is one of them. Why do you need to speak to them? You have clear as day video. This isn't 1940. It's it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And if you're a part of the betting public and you're you're watching the inquiry, and they're showing the race on on the screen, the video screen, back and forth and back and forth. And maybe they show from the the the, the hind shot, then the pan shot, then the front shot, and over and over again. Well, if the jockeys are explaining what happened in, in their their view, of course, their view, which might not necessarily uh, match up with the view you're looking at. We don't know what they're saying. We don't know what they're telling you. Why should they be talking to you at all? What good can possibly come of it? It's just silly. It's just silly. And I don't know why no one has moved to to stop that. Unless there was some pressing question um, that you, you couldn't tell on the video. I, I don't even know. I, I can't even think about it. I, I can't even come up with, with something that they would have to to say to the jock. Because what would be the reason? If the jock committed a foul because his, his foot came out of the iron, well, he still committed a foul. And maybe you don't give him days. But that that's not something you need to, to, to do. That's not information you need to make the call. And I understand that there's differences in rule books that between states and 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 most of them are are 
they're they're almost all the same. The, the differences are, are technical, and they're they're really. I, I've had stewards quote me rules that didn't exist. <laughs> I, I've had stewards say things that aren't part of the rule, um, and it's 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 something that we can do better. But there's no effort to do better. Where's the effort to do better? When when has this last been discussed at any um, major conference? And and not discussed like oh well blah 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 and everybody pats themselves in the back and says what a great job they do and now we got this and that. You're always the human element is always going to be part of this. So the only way that we're going to get better is to make the humans better informed, make them explain their decisions so that if they're using a faulty explanation they can be pulled up and say hey what's going on what what part of the rule is that and what about these last four calls that you made and this race why would why would these not disqualification this one was why why aren't they being asked to to explain themselves. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. And it's a problem that it's almost like the lessons of last year. <laughs> it's, it's, it's though everyone's forgotten about all the things that happened last year. Everyone's forgotten about the optics of the Santa Anita situation. And that's the thing about, uh, I, I think that there's been improvements in, Horse safety in uh, certainly and in, 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 in horse rescue in the last few years there's been a, a great strides made. Um, it was great to see the dirtbag Hal Parker and company were brought up on charges and they they were really bad people and did a lot of bad things to horses and they deserve everything bad that they get. But there's been a lot of of um, improvements in that area there, there's much more awareness of that the funding has gotten better it's not perfect but it's getting better a lot of people work really really hard getting horses off the track to safe places and it's not a foolproof system and it's a it's a big country and there's a lot of horses and but they're doing a better job but the optics of the Santa Anita situation that allowed the media to come in and pound away on racing, that allowed politicians to pound away on racing, that allowed animal rights people to pound away at right racing. It's like we forgot that. And now you have situations where trainers that aren't really big-name trainers, but they're still, they run enough horses where people would know their name. They can run at some places and they can't run other places. And the optics on that stink. And I understand due process rights. And there's been no one in horse racing, no one over the last 20 years that's been as outspoken about horsemen's issues and the rights of horsemen and how horsemen get screwed and how screwed up the medication rules are and how screwed up the testing it is, how screwed up everything is, how we get blamed for stuff that's not our, our fault. 
No one has been as outspoken as I have. On social media, on Steve Big Show, on papers that I write for, for various outlets. But the bad apples have to go. It's time. It's time. I don't know any people that are good guys, that are good trainers, that take care of their horses, that have been asked to leave a racetrack. None. Maybe there's somebody. But those that are, where there's smoke, there's almost always fire. And that's just what people know. But we've got to do a better job. The optics stink. They stink. When people ask me questions, I I don't have the ability to give them a a, a real answer. That's a problem. This isn't 1985 anymore. We've got to be able to explain ourselves. We have to be transparent. We have issues that go way beyond what the, the... the upset schedule of a guy who's dealing with a guy who he shouldn't be dealing with. It's too bad. When you have indicted people being rumored to be back involved, everyone involved with them should be should be asked to leave. Everyone. Everyone. You just can't it's just not a, it's just not okay. And a lot of these cretins will come back and come back and come back. You can't kill them. They're like cockroaches. They don't have anything else to do. They have nowhere else to go. But they've chosen their path. And that's not to say that every person in this business is perfect. And that's, that's not true at all. Trainers who are really good, caring trainers have gotten positive tests. Almost always by mistake. Almost always a, an innocuous drug that that came of the, you know, the the, the testing. The there's so many issues with with the testing from lab to lab. There's so many issues, but we need to do better. We need to do better, and we're going to start doing better right now by welcoming. Trainer Cherie DeVoe. Cherie, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I just went on about a half-hour tirade against stewards, so you probably don't want to get close to any of them in the next few days. <laughs> if they found out you're talking to me, you might be in trouble. But um, So how are things in Kentucky? Is, is uh, everybody in this odd kind of uh, derby year with... Uh, seemingly a weekly change in in, in some sort of uh, rule or regulation. Uh, how, I mean, what's it like? You know, the one thing about being in the thoroughbred business is we get to keep some sense of normalcy. Um, you know, with the corona pandemic and everything that's going on, the day-to-day workings of the barn have have stayed the same um you know as far as kentucky goes um i got up here as soon as they let us in from florida 
Um, it's been a little bit odd with, uh, you know, conducting races with no spectators when you're used to being at Churchill Downs in Keeneland with a, a large crowd, um, people who have good energy about racing, you know, young young fans, older fans. Um, but, you know, it's, it definitely is different to be sitting here in 90-degree weather thinking about the Derby in, you know, about a week and a half time. Um, getting people, we, um, David, um, his client and my father-in-law and one of my clients have honor AP in the Derby and, you know, trying to balance things out with, um, the, you know, they change weekly over what the rules and regulations are, not just for racing, but also for the big sales coming up. So we've all been trying to stay on top of any new developments, any new changes so that we can be in compliance, number one, which is most important to keep the continuance of what we're doing. But, um, you know, all in all, racing as a whole has been a good experience. I am stable predominantly at Ellis, and we got a increase in the purses there. You know, the purses were really nice last year um, with the um, historical gaming money added um you know obviously that took a hit with that being on hold um but you know things are are starting to come back to normal around these parts speaking of normal um ellis park is this the first time you've stabled there it's the first time i've stabled there um And prior to that, I ran one horse last year, and when I worked for you, I ran one horse there. So (laughs) this is my first soiree at the Pea Patch. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, you know, I was in Kentucky for 10 or 11 years. I never won a race at Ellis Park. (laughs) Well, I I know it wasn't when I was there either. We we didn't try very many (laughs) times. I mean, I can remember running a couple horses, uh, but... Most of the years, we, we had already gone to Saratoga, and we, we didn't have a whole lot of interest in staying there. But that's when the purses and, and the, the whole quality of racing there was was far lower than it is, is today, where it's uh, they had a derby prep at Ellis Park, <laughs> which, which seems bizarre to think about. But um, uh, so, you, you know, you found training there is, I mean, listen, training is training, but... Um, uh, how, what, what's your schedule like after this? Are you going to wind up staying there? Or are you going to go back to Lexington, or, or what's the plan? Well, we're, <clears throat> I live in Lexington, so you know, if I could train here year-round, I'd be a happy camper. But unfortunately, that's not the case at this moment. So um, we ship in in the spring to Keeneland, and we stay here until they kick us out, um, which is the end of July, first of August. And um, I shipped some into the training center, uh, Churchill's training center. And the rest, um, mainly two-year-olds, I shipped up to Ellis. Um, And I've had a really positive experience so far. The surface is great. Um, I have to commend um, their maintenance. Um, Their maintenance crew, because for such a hot, humid place, the track stays pretty pretty nice throughout the morning, which is a task. Um, after the meet, we're going to continue training there and run um, at Churchill. I've gotten, um, you know, we take our time with our two-year-olds, so a lot of them are just coming into their own, the ones that I got in and um, 
end of March, beginning of April. They're now just coming to hand, um, and, and I have a lot slated to make um, their, their debuts uh, next week, uh, some at Churchill, some at other venues. Um, and then as far as the Ellis group, they're going to stay there until after the Keeneland sales, and we'll um, ship back to Keeneland, and then we'll go from there for our winter time. Well, that sounds uh, like a, like you have it planned. Hopefully it goes according to plan. Um, <laughs> I try. You know me. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, you're, how many horses are you currently training? We have 40 right 40. now. Mm-hmm. And um, you have mostly fillies? Mostly fillies. Um, uh, we are mindful. Uh, a lot of my clients are breeders or have stallion shares, shut down portfolios. So... We are top-heavy with fillies because they hold their residual value. Um, you know, if they never do anything, a lot of them have some breeding, something to fall back. And, you know, we have a couple that the goal is just to get some black type to up their value. Sure. Um, we did that with a filly we bought in the November sale named our Super Freak, who um, she ran second in the Molly Pitcher, which was a grade three, and she just shipped up to Saratoga this morning to run the Shuby. Um, and we're starting to get more close. Uh, I have, you know, as far as the two-year-olds go, I have a lot of fillies and I have four colts. But, um, you know, it's exciting. All of it's exciting and fun and been so far busy, but a good experience. Do you have, do you have anybody that you're getting ready to run you like? I have. Um, well, I shouldn't say do you like them. I mean, I'm sure you like her them name, all. But. She's a half to Warriors Charge mm-hmm. um, by Kozan, um, and she's a Florida bred. Right. And she's one of my top, top prospects as far as fillies go. Um, I have a goal this year of running at least one horse in the Breeders' Cup with a, a good chance of winning it. Um, and she acts like she could be the two-year-old you know, in that division. Um, and I have heard it sounds odd. I'm going to run her in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I, the timing works for her, you know, I'm not worried about the state bread money. We take a little bit of a hit with the purse, but um, the timing is right. Um, and then I have another one who was working with her, and, they're, you know, she's also really nice um, with a really good family. The mayor's name is Lady Malisi, who just, her half um, sister won a stake on that big car to Ellis. Um, her name is Amiche, and mm-hmm. she's slated to make her debut on Oak Day at Churchill Downs. Well, that sounds like a pretty uh, a pretty exciting lineup coming up for you. Yeah, you know it's just fun to get our, our, our tentative schedule is Tuesday. We have a, a debut two year old. Wednesday there's two debut. We have a California Chrome Colt who's nicely bred. Um, who's going to make his debut, hopefully, if he gets in. You know, like I said, we take our time, and they all, if they have no hiccups and they march straight forward, this is about the time we get them started. So, you know, it's a lot of hard work um, and patience. You know, our staff is doing a great job at staying on top of everything and, you know, bringing them along in my absence if I can't be there, just staying on top of things, making sure that we're doing the right things for the horses. Um and we're hoping that, you know, all the patience pays off in, in what we're doing. And so far in the business model, it has. You know, it's been hard at times to take a step back and, you know, maybe give a horse time that we felt um, had some promise. 
but just wasn't there at the time, needed just some time. And all in all cases that we've done that, they've come back and um, met or exceeded our expectations for them. So it's been it's been good, um, you know, and this is I'm into my third year, so we're, it's finally getting to a place where we have a barn, you know, we have runners, established horses, two-year-olds, two-year-olds getting ready to run, horses coming in off layoffs. So we're finally getting to where the machine is going, you know, going forward and we're not going running and then regrouping. So it's, you know, it's, it's nice. Yeah. Your program doesn't seem like it's set up to have a lot of early runners anyways with two-year-olds. So it doesn't seem like the COVID issue has, has affected you maybe as, as much as it would have affected the, some of the outfits that that have a lot of early early running two-year-olds right you know the one place that did hit me is you know i i'm stable at payson and the great the great thing about stabling there is you're really on your own timeline you're um not at the helm of a racing secretary you can it has lots of options turnout trail riding the track's great you have the turf gallop the turf track to train on um, and when the uncertainty of when racing was going to start um, came into question, we just backed off on the horses. You know, we breathed them every two weeks. We gave a couple just some extra weeks of just jogging and freshened them all. You know, we'd given them all starts at Gulfstream and had them ready to go, and we came out, we won two on opening day at Churchill and had a really solid meet for a small stable um, that was growing, so, you know, like I said, in what we're doing, and I stress this to every person I can talk to at nauseum, if you can just be patient and not panic, um, whether it's a horse issue or a pandemic issue, and just have faith in what you're doing, it, it eventually will work out. It sounds like something I told you about 15 years ago. Yeah, I know. It stuck with me. <laughs> Some things, there was another thing that you told me that sits with me. I tell people when I would lose my temper with the help, you know, with all kinds of funny stories, including oh, yeah. saddle throwing, um, is they <laughs> don't about... care like you care, and they are not, may not be as bright or have the level of thinking that you have. And that is probably the number one lesson that I <laughs> I, I learn every day. <laughs> it, it, it's so true in that. It's so easy to get caught up in in things, and you forget that not everyone has the same passion that you have, and that a lot of people, let's not say they're dumb, but they're they're just not as uh, experienced, and and right. uh, you know, you have to kind of tell them the same thing over and over again, and it's just part of the deal. And and these days, we were talking the other day with a couple you know older trainers, and remember the days when they used to make announcements. Every morning, hey, we have three grooms and two hot walkers at the stable gate. If anyone needs any help, you know there was there was an abundance of help. There was always yeah. guys. There was always people. And and uh, now it's the opposite, where where everybody's desperate for for help. And um, it's just a it's a little bit of a different world nowadays too. In in um, uh, you know, the dealing like New York, having to deal with the labor board rules, which just absolutely don't don't fit with our our mode of of work. Um, right. It's just, you know, horses are a seven day a week thing, and, and horses have 
horses get attachments and to people too and um it's in their best interest to to keep things as as normal uh, routine including who handles them and who rides them and who 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 gets along with them and who gets on them that the labor laws in New York especially just don't take into consideration and it just it makes it, it makes it hard and um believe me I, I there's so many things about training that changed from when I started to to now and almost all of them are negative almost all of them make it harder almost everything makes it more expensive and that's that's a tough thing and we're in a kind of a you know where you are in Kentucky the the purses are are good but five years ago in Kentucky, the purses weren't so good, and right. they got help with the alternate gaming. And of all the places in the world that you would think you would be the safest in terms of politicians not coming in and sweeping away your your, your alternate source of revenue, would be Kentucky. Uh, I mean, I, I look at Pennsylvania, and I saw a governor last year that tried to take seventy five percent of of, uh, of the the funds available for purses for both standard breads and thoroughbreds and that was when the economy was booming and doing well and the unemployment was really low so when the whole pandemic finally kind of peters out to the point where politicians are going to feel um bold enough to try to start raising taxes and, and taking money from other sources to divert it for 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 what they need uh, it just feels like in some areas racing is going to be um, a sitting duck. Yeah, and, you know, the one thing I, I thoroughly enjoy about living in Kentucky is the thoroughbred horse industry is what drives the bus for this whole uh, state. So, you know, it's not an afterthought, and I, I don't mean that in a negative way, but, you know, in other states, you know, even New York or, you know, Pennsylvania, the revenue of horse racing is not in the forefront. And that goes, I mean, you just think about how much you drive down Versailles Road and how much just those stud fees and the taxes associated with breeding, the care of horses, the selling of horses, how much goes through, you know, a 25-mile radius in one location here in Kentucky, that's all taxable. Um, you know, so <clears throat> it, that's one of the things I really do enjoy about being here, and it's a, a business-friendly uh, state. So, you know, the taxes are are bearable. Um, you know, the wage, and I don't want people to think I, I'm, I'm more than fair in my wages with my help. And you know, they I lose money every month on my day rate and that's just because I have found good help um, thankfully um, I've found really experienced group of management who has ties to help and I want them to be happy and to stay in their job um, and not just come in and do their job and, and leave because that really um, takes the fun out of it for everybody so you know that's the one thing I, I have enjoyed about living here when I was in New York you know, I have um, stalls up in Saratoga, and I've just left my sister up there. She's one of my assistants, and when we ship a horse in, she's rides, grooms, does everything. She's got an assistant's license, she's got a rider license, and she can take care of everything because that's the only smart way to, to 
get business, you know, and I would take her back and forth, and which some weeks she doesn't work because there's no horse up there, but, you know, I can't even bring her back and forth to because of the restrictions on the coronavirus. So, you know, it's just, just one of those things. Hey, listen, she should be good. She was she was illegal child labor for me back. <laughs> when she was eight years yeah, old, when she, she was, was when she was eight. We were paying her money to drink vinegar out of the gallon jug, and um, <laughs> it's good for you, vinegar. Yeah, it was good for you. Do you do Before you, the whole apple cider vinegar craze came in, that's probably why she's so healthy now. That's right. We um, we we started her out good, but remember the investigator actually came over and said something like. Yeah, she it's, can't work. And yeah, she, we she don't can't support work. child labor. And right. all she was she, doing was picking up like a piece of laundry. Right. right. She she would stand there and hold the horse, or or you know, like uh like you said, pick the laundry up or doing something up, and that cretin came over and started like, uh, like 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 she was uh you know like like we smuggled her into the track to do all the the the, the, the menial jobs, and when we weren't paying her. I, mean, I just crazy. want to know where they were when I was her age, and I was in Saratoga or in Monticello Raceway, having to clean stalls and get horses ready, give them baths, be eleven o'clock at night, and I would be riding the horse up with all their tack, with a, a blanket, a cooler left over, and with all their harness tack, not a saddle and bridle, up to Barn G way on top of the hill, and uh, because that was the only way we got to go home, you know, we worked and. That's yeah. probably why I have, you know, I, not self-admittedly, people always say you have a good work ethic. Well, this is not, near, this is like a, a easy peasy compared to when I was a kid and I was working and going to school well, all day and all night. You had that slave driver dad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for people for people that don't know, one of my first jobs uh, on the racetrack was working for Shree's dad. And I was 16 or 17, and I think I was 17, and I took care of eight horses for uh, six days a week. We didn't, standard breads didn't, don't train on Sundays, back then at least, most of them didn't. And um, I got 40 bucks a week, and they bought me lunch every day. <laughs> and, yeah, and you were called No Change Truck, because uh, you never had any change oh, from it. No, whatever they gave me, I mean, you know, I was making, I was making about... Nine bucks a day, so uh, you know you had you had to you had to do what you had to do. But uh, but and the funny thing was was I loved it. I would I would it was it was way better than like working at McDonald's or some horrible job like that. And um, that was uh, but your, your dad he, he was he was very patient with me and and uh, I mean I I literally didn't hardly know anything, so I was very very green and and and. Uh, you know, they played tricks on me, like when they put me on the runaway horse and told me to to, to smack it on the rear end with the line because <laughs> it was lazy and it ran around. It, it ran about seven miles on the track, and they all laughed every time I went by them. But uh, but it, it it was it was fun. And honestly, you came to work for me, I think, in two thousand or two thousand one at Saratoga. It was two thousand and four. Was when it two thousand four? college see because you 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 have everything's a blur like but um that's that's the only reason i remember (laughs) that that was it was uh lorna lorna said hey i got someone i you need somebody i have somebody for you and it was you yep 
And I said, I remember you, but you were way smaller than last time I saw you. You were like two. But um, you came in, and and you were galloping horses, but you did all the work like like an assistant would do. And you you helped out, and you, and you held for the blacksmith, and you picked up stuff, and you, you ran around. You, you did all these things. Because that's the way you were taught. Because you came up, you know, with with a dad that was a standard bread trainer, and you know, standard bread trainers, they do a whole lot more than thoroughbred trainers. As a matter of fact, they all make fun of thoroughbred trainers. They say, "Oh, you guys take a coffee and a stopwatch and stand by the rail and bullshit." Meanwhile, yeah. we got to get on horses, we got to train them, we got to fix it, we got to change the equipment. Some of us shoe them, blah blah blah. So I remember asking you. One when we were getting ready to go back to Kentucky, what you know, what do you want to do? You could, you're really good at this if you put your mind to it, and and you want to go kind of down the assistant trainer, um, you know, the assistant trainer trainer path, you could do really well, and um, and you did. You 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 came to me, you came with us to Kentucky, and outside of maybe trying to break your leg off at Tampa with that one horse. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just wanted a little break. I'd been galloping for a couple of weeks, and now that that's my one hindrance in life is I need a knee replacement from it, and this wonderful workman's comp I, I, is being a pain in my Oh, oh workman's comp. No, I remember thinking, no, I just friend. want to ride horses. That's it, but I was bored. I couldn't just go in, ride, and leave. I needed something else to challenge me, and um, I think the one thing that people – I went to school to be a physical therapist, um, pre-med, and I started hot walking for Phil Gleaves the year before I started working for you. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the thing I find most fun about my path and my story is I just let it go where things took me. You know, I, I worked for you. You encouraged me to do more, which at the time, if you didn't, I probably, I, I definitely would not have done the same thing that I'm doing now. Um, because, you know, I, I was a good rider, so I probably would have made my way into just being an exercise rider until I couldn't walk anymore. Um, and then, you know, I, I worked for, I left you and started working for Chad when he first got going. And, you know, the rest is history. But I tell people I don't bet. Um, I'm not really, I enjoy watching the sport. I'm not a huge fan of the sport, David. Um He'll talk about all these old derbies and these horses, and I just look at him like he has eight heads because, I mean, I just the history is not there. I enjoy it more watching horses as a respect to them for what they do and um, recognition for their connections. But the sport as itself, I wasn't this person that woke up in life and said, I want to be a horse trainer, and that's I'm going to do everything. I just organically got to the point that I did, and I think for me, I never – put a lot of pressure on myself you know I just let life take me where it did and I I say that to young people who ask me for advice is if, if it feels right just do it and you know I was lucky enough along the way to have people like you that you, you know I was trying to zig and run off the go out partying too much with no responsibility and just give me a little direction and responsibility and I thrived that way well you know I need you and Phil D'Amato to really do well because this is, you guys are like my legacy. (laughs) (laughs) 
great equalizer when I see Phil or I see people that talk about him. I said, Phil, I, I said, I, you know, Phil, I come from a different view. His job was to babysit me and make sure I didn't kill myself when I was out too late in Saratoga a couple of nights and I'd be on some horse in the field. Phil, this is your job. <laughs> it's funny. Phil, Phil's a good guy, and he came from the University of Arizona, and I remember getting a call, and I went to the University of Arizona, and people think, you know, well, the guy wants to be a trainer. We'll call Chuck. So they called me, and I said, listen, we're sending you this guy. He doesn't know anything about horses, but he wants to be a trainer. So I was like, well, perfect. But um, <laughs> he came in, and he did good, and and, uh, and 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 those guys put him through the, the paces, man. He, he he went for the saddle stretcher. Every trick they could have played on him, they played on him. And Remember he got bit by a spider at Saratoga, and his leg blew up like an elephant? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was man. his first year, I think, working with us. But uh, you know, like like you, he 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 persevered and and uh, he got a, he wound up going out to out west working for Mike Mitchell and and got a you know break and I'm you know kind of got a break when Mike passed away but um, he he's taken the ball and run with it and uh, he he's done well well too and and I'm proud of both of you guys uh, how, how well you've done and um, you know you both spoken about. Uh, with respect, people think that you do. You guys both do good jobs, and and uh, you know you don't hear all the nonsense that you hear about other people with you guys, and and uh, and I think that that really leads that uh, that's that's kind of um, your legacy. Well, my legacy in a little bit, but but that's because of the people you guys are. You're you know, and and uh, let's let's face it. I I spoke a little bit in the in the beginning about weeding some of the people in this business out. Some of them have to go and. It's. Uh, I mean, you grew up in the standard bread game, so you know plenty of of, of the the stories and of of the guys that, you know, do the things that aren't uh, aren't aren't acceptable anymore. And um, right. You know, that's the thing is you have to have good people that that do the things the right way, and and uh, because there's a lot more of them than there than there are the other people, and uh, and and I'd be remiss if if we didn't mention our friend, the great Ryan Perry. Oh, yeah, no, you, you have to mention Ryan, who's actually still on my team, uh, right. doing all my, she does my um, payroll and all my billing, so we keep her busy and involved, and I was actually texting with her this morning, and it's fun to have, you know, have somebody from the very beginning, I remember when she came up and loved her to death, but she was so quiet and meek and we got her, you know, out galloping and coming out of her shell, and it was it, it's so much fun to have these connections with people that, you know, I, we probably would never have crossed paths in a, you know, a way to even talk if it weren't for the racetrack. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, Ryan did really well. She she had a, a completely different background, to really kind of a show horse background, and and it, it just shows there's there's so many people. Horses bring so many different people from so many different areas and and backgrounds together, and um, the one common denominator is is always uh, is always the horse, really. And um, you know, it's 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 great that uh, that you guys are still. Um, I mean, you're, you're you're still working together after all these after all these years. Yeah, and you know, the the one thing that when I we worked together is we were right there by the University of Louisville. And it's always great when you can find those crazy horse girls. They just love the horses. They love to be in the barn. You know, Ryan would work all day, never ask for, 
for any raises or anything, pulling manes, grazing horses. I was the same way when I came to you. My sister's the same way. You know, I see her taking selfies with the horses and just wanting to FaceTime because she's interested, because she likes them. Um, it's not a job, you know, and there are times along the way, you know, I get stressed or, you know, I had a lot on my plate. And you have to just go back in the barn and take a couple of laps around a shed row just to remember that, you know, it's special. We get to do something every day that isn't, it's not work. I don't go to work. I go and I, I train horses, and it's been what I've done since I was a kid. You know, in some respect, I go work in a barn and hang out with, you know, the staff and everything. And that's kind of, that's what it's always been. And, you know, it for like I said, for me, I couldn't feel more blessed. Um, of how things have continued to work out in in my past. Well, Sheree, you've done great, and we hope that you continue to do great. And uh, at some point, I might have to get a job working as a hot walker. Maybe I can do like carrot cutting or something like that. Because uh, well, you could be the enforcer. You know, I just need somebody to yell at people because I just don't have it in me anymore. I, I need so. I need someone to protect uh, protect the help from you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You haven't hit anybody over the head with a saddle lately, have you? You know, I again, you learn. You just kind of roll your eyes and walk away and say, please don't do that. Uh, <laughs> or, uh, urban legend. <laughs> Cherie smashing people over the head with saddles. But, hey, you it know. slid. I might have helped it go over, but the saddle slid. You got your point across. Well, th- <laughs> thank you for, for coming on, and uh, good luck in the uh, uh, we'll we'll have you back uh, this winter. Maybe uh, we'll have you back when when we get the great Larry Kelly to come on. Oh, perfect! It'll be fun. <laughs> It'll be interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Cherie. Thank you, Chuck. Have a good day. All right, that was Bye-bye. Cherie Devoe, who's uh, who's really has a a Steve Bickward. She she has an emerging stable, and uh, she's she's doing really well, and uh, hopefully continued success. For her, um, Casey says that we have a, a caller on the line. Um, Dave from Saratoga. Hello, Dave. Hello, Chuck. Do you have a question? Yeah, I was wondering. I was actually I was hoping to get Cherie. I was wondering if Cherie could tell me the, one of the best stories about uh, having an experience of working with Chuck. So I'm sure she has a few good stories. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I have to go back to Chuck with this one. Say, Chuck, what was the best thing asset you saw out of Cherie as a as a young horseman, horse person? Most exercise riders are allergic to doing anything but getting on top of horses and riding them around. They don't want to hold them. They don't want to clean tack. They don't want to do anything else they are the they're like the divas of the backside you know like the wide receivers are kind of the divas of the nfl exercise riders are the divas of the backside and sheree was like the opposite in that she would she would look for things to do she would i'd see her she'd clean out the feed room she'd be holding for the blacksmith she would be doing all the tasks that no one else really wanted to do and it just was kind of um it really uh, showed her work work ethic because she wasn't asking for more money. She was just doing it naturally. And that's, that's kind of one of the reasons I said to her, hey, um, you should consider being, a, you know, going down the assistant trainer path because 
Well, number one, you make more money. Number two, you're, you're good at it. Or you're already doing it, and and you have the, you know good instincts around horses to start with. And you know what? Some people they just don't have great instincts around horses. And she did, and and that was uh, that's one of the things that um, you know that, that's probably helped her in her career. And also, she's a worker, like she said, she worked for her dad. And when you grow up in, in standard bred families. They they work. They do all the work. There are no hot walkers. There are no exercise riders. You're 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 the groom and you're the you know you're jogging horses and you're cleaning stuff and you're doing the horses up and you're paddocking horses at night. So you have three or four jobs or five jobs and then a lot of times you're going home and taking care of the horse at the farm. So you know she, her work ethic was was always uh, stuck stood out and it it's probably a, a good real real strong reason why she's at the point that she's at now after only three years of training are you still there dave yeah i'm still here yeah i was just listening taking it all in how was how uh how has saratoga been now that the Travers is over i'm gonna i'm gonna turn on the tables asking you a question i mean with this Travers usually being at the end of the meet and now the Travers has has been you know, a week and a week and a half past. Uh, what's kind of the 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 vibe around Saratoga? I think right now the vibe is pretty much the track is over for the rest of the summer without having the Travers this Saturday. Um, you know, it's kind of quiet. It's very quiet. The town is dead. You know, the atmosphere is is just not here. This pandemic kind of kind of ruined the whole track season for everybody who lives up here that that expects to you know have that eight weeks of fun and it's kind of been dismal and. Betting through your phone is not the same as going to the races, that's for sure. Yeah, and downtown has been, uh, I mean, has, has it been busy? Or, or, I mean, obviously it can't be the same as usual, but uh, how? I mean, some, place, some places are more busier than others, but it's they're getting crushed. The hotels are getting crushed. The, the bars and restaurants are getting crushed. You know, it's just been, it's been, Awful, in all honesty, to, to be in Saratoga, but it's awful everywhere. It's not just Saratoga, but when you're used to being spoiled with the races here for, for all these years, and now all of a sudden it's taken away from you, it's kind of boring. Yeah, I saw just uh, yesterday there was an article about the harness track, how the OTBs owe like, I don't know, five, six hundred thousand dollars, and they're, and they're trying not to pay, and that's that's really affecting. Uh, how long that they're going to be able to run? They're going to have to, you know, make adjustments to their schedule because they've been running for reduced purses a few times a, a week. But uh, it, it's just so it's just so messed up because, I mean, the standard breads aren't nearly as big as the, the thoroughbreds, but it's kind of a year-round thing. And and uh, I mean, if they have to close up the shop uh, early this fall, I mean, in the winter time, it's it's really going to be tough. Yeah, if they don't if they don't open up the casino soon here, um, Saratoga's in trouble. I mean, as well as all the other places you mentioned um, throughout the whole country, will be like what in Saratoga. You know, the the, the gaming the gaming commissioner, whoever's in charge at Cuomo, he just doesn't want to open them up yet. I'm not sure why. You can do it, you could do it with social distancing. They already have, I think, the machines set up where they're plastic in between every machine, so you could actually go in there and you know kind of be safe and 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 play the slots if that's what you want. But if they don't open up soon, they're just going to shut down the shut down the uh, the raceway. Casinos are open in Horsemen Pennsylvania. Can't without it, you know they're open in Pennsylvania. The Indian casinos in Connecticut are open. The Indian casinos 
in New York are open since June. And it, it's just, it's a baffling decision from a guy who, who gets, and I, I don't want to talk politics too much, but a guy that loves to hear himself speak, that gets way too much credit for still having, you know, the most issues of any state, and to not to not come back with, with some sort of uh, plan to, to allow them to open at some capacity, it, it's just it's just mind-boggling when other places in I mean, when you walk onto an Indian reservation, a Native American reservation, and you go in their casino, it's all right. Technically, it, it's it's uh, a sovereign country, but come on, there's no there's no filters around there that that are any. It's 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 New York, and they're having no issues at these places, and and yet. Um, they haven't been able to 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 even come up with a, a schedule, and and in New York we're talking about Tioga Downs, we're talking about Vernon Downs, we're talking about Buffalo Raceway, Saratoga Raceway, Saratoga Racecourse, Aqueduct, and Belmont, and the amount of money, the economic impact between all those places, and, and we're talking from the western part of New York to the central part of New York to the Capital District to Long Island. New York City, and to to not have these these things be open, even in, in a limited capacity, or even have made some sort of schedule, it just seems um, it it just seems small. It, there just doesn't seem to be any real reason at this point. Welcome to New York. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, it's it's. Um, it's 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 depressing because I, I know that last week there was a um a meeting um by the oversight board of Naira and Naira officials were kind of optimistic to a point in that they would be able to continue at the current levels um racing for for some period of time, but the schedule is going to have to be adjusted. They've already cut out a lot of days at Belmont and a lot of days at Aqueduct for the fall. So, I mean, moving forward, if the the the, the money doesn't start flowing back, and, and not and it isn't just racing. I mean, think about the the casino at Aqueduct. How many people are employed by that place? I mean, it's a huge casino. They do five or six billion dollars a year in handle. I mean that's that's a that's a huge hit, and honestly, it's a huge hit to New York State because a, a huge portion of the the revenue from created by casinos goes t- directly to the state. So I, I just don't I just don't get it. And uh, you know Philadelphia has has casinos that are open, and it just does. I, I'm I'm pretty sure Massachusetts uh, has casinos open. So. I really don't understand the, the logic about not trying to get them open. Like you said, you can practice social distancing. You can, you can, um, you know, put barriers up and 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 uh, do all the things that everyone else has done. And it's, uh, you know, it, it it's it's the real scary part of being involved in racing, when more and more and more your fate is tied to the whims of politicians, and that's not. Um, considering the lack of strength that racing interests have in most capitals, 
it's it's a really dicey proposition. But uh, I thank you for your calls and uh, all right, appreciate, thank you, re- sir. Appreciate your questions and and and, and being our, our our eyes and ears on the ground of Saratoga. We have um, our second guest is here uh, with us now. Chad, are you there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Listening to the uh, the great callers that you've already assimilated on this podcast. One of one of the all time greats, Dave from Saratoga. If, if uh, he's like uh, like those guys that WFAN used to have, like Murray from uh, uh, <laughs> Staten Island, <laughs> yeah. they'd call every listen, single day and say listen, the same the, thing. The, the Jets the thing, suck. The thing, listen, the thing with that Chuck is 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 that's the fan base that we're isolating. That I mean, these are the these are the guys and girls that love this game and love the sport, and you know. They just want to go watch their horses run, and it's crazy, you know, the state of affairs in New York right now. Yeah, it's it's uh it's depressing, <laughs> and the thing is that the to me the most frustrating thing is that you just you're you have no idea what's going to happen. It's just total uh, blackout news blackout, and all of a sudden one day the decree is going to come down from the the palace. Where hey okay you can open up the casino 25 percent but uh, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that and uh, you know make it as, as uh, miserable of experience as it can be but hey we opened it up and you know so stop complaining but uh, well I mean the big listen the biggest issue when it comes to casino Chuck is for for a hundred straight days Governor Cuomo held a press conference right he loved it. And- and then he went on late night tours, and he wrote a book. He's got a book coming out next week. Hopefully, he can start signing the books in casinos. That might be the only way to get the casino open. But you know, you know, he said that that the tri-state area—New York, New Jersey, Connecticut—he goes, we run like spokes on a bicycle. We're going to do everything together. We're going to open up the beaches together. We're going to open up the schools together. Well, guess what? All the casinos in Jersey are open. All the casinos in Connecticut are open. The Indian casinos in New York are open. The only casinos that aren't open or the casinos here in New York. So it's just a contradiction to everything that he said for 100 straight days with his press releases and the New York Tough and the New York Strong, and we love New York, but we don't love New York enough to try and help out the state and try and make some, some revenue here by opening up the casinos. Yeah, it's, uh, it really is uh, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a tough situation, and... I'm not one of these people, like, you hear people say, well, we never should have gotten in bed with him. Well, if we hadn't gotten in bed with him, we probably would be out of business in most places at this time because we can't beat them. We can't. If you have a racetrack and they put a casino up across the street, guess what? You're dead. If, they, if you don't have any involvement with, with them, the way they can do things, the way they're allowed to do things, and just the, the – it's, it's, we're not competitive with them. And – they're allowed to do so much that we're not allowed to do. And, and, and you know, with, with, with racing comes a lot of ancillary expenses. The backside expense has got to be huge to have a backside to the insurance alone. The liability insurance has got to be massive. The, the water, the electric, uh, all the maintenance, all those things that, that a casino doesn't have to have. And the tying us in with them, it wasn't a perfect situation. And yet, in a lot of places, maybe we, um, we we have screwed it up. I think Pennsylvania, especially, in that they'd never worked to try to be more self-sufficient 
they just they just turned that that uh, that money spigot on and 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 yes they've done a lot of nice things for horsemen and they've got pensions they've got health care they they've done a good job with the the rescue and and things like that the problem is that is that you still are betting into well no one's betting into 36% takeout on 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 trifectas and things like that because it it doesn't it doesn't there's no reason to do that and when you have $47,000 purses and and 41,000 of it comes from the slots revenue well when that slots revenue goes away or gets chopped in half well what are you going to do how you don't control your own destiny anymore and that that is one of the biggest issues that when you look back you say, well, wow, we should have really dedicated some of that money to other, you know, to, to growing our sport, to trying to make it a better product and, and to try to increase handle. And um, that's that's just, uh, it's just uh, something that we can't go back on now. And when something like a pandemic happens, and yes, we're able to keep open, but are are we really that much different than than the restaurants that are open for takeout and for fit, at 50% capacity when they're just kind of trying to tread water i mean we have no like a place like Saratoga where you do 20% of the the handle is on track 20 uh, you know 20% of Saratoga handle on track is a significant amount of money because you, we get such a bigger cut uh, out of a, an on track bet and when you take that away to you move that to zero well you have to be up so much if your handle is the same well then you've lost and it's um it's something that i think we gloss over too much and racing interests are are far too um eager to try to promote the great things that happen and i understand that that everything can't be like uh negative central that that yes we have to do promote some of the good news and and, and we need to take and show our, our best light at, at some point. And when there is good news and the numbers are trending well, okay, we, we should be showing them off. That There's no doubt about that. But the problem is you can't just believe the hype. And that's, I think, what happens. And this, this, is a, this is a business where people believe what they hear and they don't check. They don't look at the numbers. They don't think about things critically. And and horsemen are very, very, very much in that boat in that um, sometimes we want things to be better. So we just kind of close our eyes and and hope <laughs> and wish it to be better. But, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a tough situation and uh, hopefully we can, uh, we can make the best of it. And I mean, I'll be interested to see what the full crop numbers look like uh, in the springtime, being that the pandemic hit during March, which you know encompassed uh, some of the breeding season. And, and I just you have to assume that some percentage of mare owners decided um, maybe they're they're in a business uh, or invested heavily in, in areas that would be cold, would be hit harder by the COVID virus uh you know impacted by by them and and perhaps they gave those mares a year off or uh you know didn't breed them because they they weren't sure about what was going to happen and um even with the sales coming up um you know in the, in the next uh 
month, month and a half or so, it, it'll be interesting because we know that the top end of the market will still be strong because the top end of the market is a lot of recession-proof people. But um, I have a feeling if you want to buy a racehorse, if you want to get involved, if you have any money, you should be able to get a whole lot of horse for probably less than market value in a lot of ways uh, over the next uh, the Fazig, Tipton, and Keeneland sales coming up. But uh, did we lose you? We may have lost him. No, I'm here. Oh. I'm here. That, no. Look, I mean, every, everything you say is is well-spoken and well-said. And as far as, um, you know, what we want or we, you know, they have the NBA bubble right now, and all these NBA teams are in the bubble. Well, I think the horsemen population have lived in this bubble for years, but it's a bubble of imagination. It's a bubble of thinking that things are better than they are. And, you know, this has certainly opened up, I think, a lot of people's eyes. I mean, the takeout has been the takeout for years, and we've just kind of taken it as, as a horseman group, a horseman association, you know, across the states, whatever state it might be. And now we're realizing, hey, wait a second, you know, this doesn't really seem like it adds up. This doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I remember it was, what, 15 years ago, we didn't have casino money in New York. Look, there were other states that needed the casino money to survive. You know, the West Virginias of the world, even, you know, the Pennsylvanias of the world. But New York in particular is one that, I mean, yeah, the purses have been tremendous right now, and we're forever thankful for that. And, you know, it's allowed us to bring a lot of new blood into the sport and things of that nature. But at the same time, I mean, the purses were still good back in the early 90s, early 2000s, before the casino was around. But, you know, you have to use creativity. You have to, you know, do certain things to to attract people. You talk about the on-track handle means so much more than the off-track handle. But, you know, we've done nothing in the state of New York to attract more people to come out to the race. If anything, we've encouraged them to, to stay home and just hope that they choose to, to use a Naira Betts account now uh, as opposed to one of the other ADWs and things of that nature. When it comes to the sales coming up next week, I mean, look, a lot of people that I've talked to, uh, yeah, the, the breeding is going to be way, way down next year, and the sale, they think it goes as the stock market goes. And uh, quietly, uh, the stock market prices are, are back to new record highs um, despite where it was just, what, four or five months ago, uh, the stock market's rebounded well. But I still feel like in that middle ground, in that, in that middle tier where you can get a really nice horse, your value of before maybe you're buying the horse for seventy-five to 125000 I think that number now changes to $35,000. And, you know, that, that's a number that you can buy a yearling and you can have fun with and, you can make money with. You don't have to be a stake horse to, to come out ahead. And, and I think that's good for, for some of these people who, who have been involved in the sport and have, have paid a lot of money for horses at the sales, and you know, they look at the records every year and they continue to lose money. You know, now is a chance if, if the racing community can come together and come up with a good plan for, for what racing is going to do moving forward, you have a chance now to make money um, next year if, if you get lucky. Yeah, I, I think I totally agree with the stock market. Uh, as, as the stock market goes, the, the sales generally go. I think the difference this year is not the people who spend the big money. I think it's, it's really the volume of buyers, and I think you're going to have 
a smaller volume of the number of buyers is going to be smaller. It's going to be reduced. It almost has to be. And that's, that's going to cause um, the horses with flaws, with little flaws. They're the ones that, that are going to be, um, that, that are not going to get sold, that, that uh, they're going to have to really knock the price down on. And listen, some guys won't do it. Some guys, will, they'll, they'll keep, uh, they'll keep, you know, they'll ask for, I, I, it always gets me when a guy says, well, I got this much into the horse. Well, <laughs> I got yeah. See how much I got into my car? <laughs> if I went to the if I went to the dealer and said, you know, I got I got uh, thirty eight thousand in this car, and the dealer says, great. The blue book says it's worth seventy five hundred. <laughs> right. <laughs> Take it or leave it. And and I think that um, uh, that that's going to be probably as as much as as anything one of the the issues that that we have. And I just don't know if there's going to be the book four, book five how many buyers there's going to be. And maybe I'll be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that guys that maybe buy three or four horses buy five or six. Uh, and uh, Look, I, I have a feeling, I mean, Chuck, you've been going to the sales for years and years and years, and that was kind of always always your specialty was buying that, that middle-of-the-road, that middle of the road, mid-range kind of horse. And you've been priced out of the market for the last five years. Yeah, You'd go looking to buy the same horse, and the same horse in years past, um, whether it be a, a brilliant son or a battle one or run happy or whomever, you know, those horses were selling for twice as much, three times as much. And, and this year, finally, um, if you go to the sale, I, I do think if you're patient and, and you work the sale hard, you can be rewarded and you can find that horse for that forty, fifty thousand dollars where, where you like to be. Yeah. It's, uh, the stud fees got a little bit out of whack. And that you have stud fees that are just too high, and and we all know that outside of the top stallions, a lot of the stallions people aren't paying the published stud fee. But stud fees are, are high when you consider that a stallion. Okay, now what's the the cutoff? 140 um, mares. If they get 10 stake horses. Added 140 mares, they're considered a, a top stallion. Well, that leaves a whole lot of mares that aren't stake, or you know, foals that aren't stake horses. So, uh, the, the guys that, that that paid the big money to breed to that horse, well, if they get a colt and they can't run much, they're going to take a, a a whipping on it. And I get that there's a lot of investment in the racing side because of the bloodstock side. And I get that a lot of people that might not be involved in horse racing are because they see that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow with a, a grade one stake winner or a, a horse that wins a classic race or, or, or something like that. But the, 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 the dog, um, the tail wagging the dog, it, it just is, more than ever, it, it's it's tough on it's tough on the sport. It's tough that um, uh, the economics are, are going to be more and more. They're not going to. I just don't see a big spike in purses at this point. I, I don't see where we're going to see purses really go up. And they've gone up. No, I, steadily I, I think for a long at time. Stage, for a long at, time, at Chad. Stage, purses have look, gone at, up. At, at this stage, I think there's there's two things to, to look at. One, I think. We all need to come together and realize that every part of this industry is connected. And for some reason, over the, the, the last 15, 20 years, 
it feels as though they've all been operating as their own entity, right? The breeding side of thing, the sales side of thing, the racing side of thing. They've, they've all kind of been doing their own thing. Yeah. And, and so everybody's just kind of been going with it because there's been so much money kind of lying around right. that we've all taken advantage of the situation. And, and we've, it's, racing's been really good. You know, we got, we got really blessed over the last 10 years. You're, you're routinely seeing million-dollar races at all of these racetracks. When you first started training, Chuck, there might have been $1 million race in the entire country. Yeah, the breeders. Right? Maybe just hey, listen, 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 I'm not at old. I didn't start in, like, 1960. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there might have been two. There might have been two. No, but, yeah, you had the uh, Breeders' Cup, and you had the Arlington Million, and you had... But, but, there, was but no, there was no Dubai. There was there certainly was no Saudi Arabia. There was no Pegasus. There was, and, and so and so we've been listen. We've been we've been blessed when it comes to that sort of thing, as far as you know, the purses are concerned and, and everything else. And yeah, the only way the only way that we can get purses back is if we had you know an entire thing together where the horse industry was united, and we negotiated our, our TV contract because our, our TV ratings are way up. Right, the Fox Sports, the NBC, the ratings are up. That 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 was our chance to take advantage of it. Is to do some kind of a deal along those lines, and those things have been chopped for years and years about putting together uh, series of races and you know points races and, and all sorts of things that would lead to a, a accumulation of the Breeders' Cup. Because right now, each race is kind of looked at as its own entity, right? And you run to the Breeders' Cup, you're on the Breeders' Cup, but you don't qualify for the Breeders' Cup. They have to be your in races. But it's not quite the same thing like every other sport has to where you make the playoffs. Yeah. And there needs, and so for, for the, the fan who just likes to turn on the races on a Saturday afternoon, we need to, to, to construct something that gives them the opportunity to follow along, whether it be with their favorite jockey or their favorite trainer or their favorite horse or whatever the case may be. We need, we need to hook them to wanting to watch something other than just the Triple Crown and other than the Breeders' Cup. You want them to, hey, you know what? That horse won the Whitney. He's he's on the trail. He's he's ranked number one right now. You know, is there going to be an upset in the Jockey Club Gold Cup or whatever the case may be? And and we've done a bad job of marketing the stars of our sport and just letting the races themselves kind of hang out there, or we'll advertise the purse. Well, the, the problem. Oh, go too, to Saudi Chad, Arabia for twenty million dollars. The, the the problem too is that the stars are allowed to do what they want. Correct. And the problem is that we don't have any consistent pattern um that they would follow they can run wherever they want and and that's not i mean not, i'm not saying they have to run but if you put up a featured race every month somewhere and build the person and, and like you said build a playoff type of system like like golf does with the fedex cup like nascar does like we used to have with the american championship racing series way back when where you you group the races together and you, and you put a path to the Breeders' Cup and say you know you don't have to take this path but this path's going to get you more points and and make it valuable make it worth something make the the the, the first three um, point earners get uh, you know preferential post positions they don't they can't draw post one or post outside post something like sure. that make it worth something else make make them carry two pounds less do it something so that uh, so that there is a, a coordinated season toward going, heading towards the Breeders' Cup. So the Breeders' Cup is the culmination, because right now it's the culmination of whatever the hell happens. And in in certain divisions, like the sprint division, 
you just need to win one race or two races or somewhere else and then win the Breeders' Cup Sprint and you become sprint champion. And there, there's no reason that – there's not that many great sprint races out there. There's not that many grade one sprint races around. So you could put together something, where, and it would help because it would be a feature for racetracks. It would be um, – keep, keep uh, have a season concept – uh, and and get horses to run against each other. I mean, the great rivalries of, of uh, Bet Twice and Ali Sheba. I mean, these days we have some really really good horses out there, and that's not. I mean, like sometimes when you you you, you learn you yearn for the past. One of the big differences was it wasn't that there's not great horses now. It's the great horses now running against a bunch of bums all the time. And the other, there's, there might be three great horses in one division, and they never run against each other. They just, this one runs over here and wins by six, and then everybody tells them how great their horse was. And this horse wins by five against these, you know, second-rate horses, and everybody says, oh, my God, she would have beat blah, blah, blah. And, and then, you know, you get to the Breeders' Cup, and, and yes, it is the, the, the factor. But, well, maybe, you know, had, had these horses been running against each other all year, then we would have had great races all year, not just one day. And that's the thing is that there's nothing, there's no incentive to run, especially once a horse gets their credentials. You know, once they're a credentialed horse, they've got their grade one win. Okay? you got your affiliate, you got your grade one win. Well, you're not taking that away from you. You're a grade one winner. So everything is kind of gravy from them. Well, make it where winning, uh, even if we have... Grade one A's. I mean, I always said that why would a triple crown, why is the Kentucky Derby the same grade as, um, you know, some other grade one that's not nearly in the same standing? I mean, maybe it's time to have uh, um, an upper shelf grade one. The Traverse but I, is, I, is, I think, is, would be I, a, I think a grade you, one you A, you know, and, and – uh, the, the the triple crown races and and uh, the Pennsylvania Derby would be a Grade One B it wouldn't be a A it'd be a B and I don't know just uh, it just seems as though like the win in your in program let me just say this I appreciate what we do for owners but the owners of these type of horses don't really need the help and like saying the Preakness is a win in your in well if you win a Classic a month before the Classic then it's hard pressed to believe you wouldn't be in. And essentially all you're doing is giving the owner uh, free travel to the to the race. Well, I, and people I, I, don't I'll, get I'll excited you, that I'll, a rich I'll, guy I'll, just got, you know, his plane ticket paid for. It's just I'll not tell a, you, I'll tell you this, though, Chuck. Coming from, from experience, that win in your end feels really good, right? When you when you win in your end, you don't pay the entry fee. Speaking of someone who's, who's owned horses that ran in it. I know, but you're a poor person, Chad. You're not, yes, I, <laughs> you're not a billionaire, and, and it means a lot to you because people you're a like, poor like person. It, I mean, listen, how many Chuck, really, Chuck, you know, hey. how many people own those type of horses um, don't, you know, I mean, could whack that, that money out and, and, and uh, it wouldn't even turn a hair to it. And, yeah, I, I get that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't Look, when, have something. But, that, but that's, listen, that's the funny thing. Like, when we ran the Breeders' Cup Classic with Mind Your Biscuits, Everyone's like, oh, why are they doing it, this and that. Listen, that cost a lot of money. That, listen, that wasn't, not only was it, yeah, we lost, but then it's like we lost a lot of funny running in that race. You know, the entry fee for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Oh, my God. 
120000 or something like that. It, was, it wasn't cheap. Believe me, that, that, was a, that was an expensive check to write uh, to, to the Breeders' Cup people. And, uh, and that's the thing. But, you know, the, the interesting thing that you see is you're, uh, you're right when it comes to the big races. Because now you look at the Derby and the Oaks, and obviously Tis the Law will be an overwhelming favorite. But you know what? The horses that are, that are capable of running in the race are running in the race. And it'll be, it'll be a good race despite everything that's gone on over the last six months. The Kentucky Oaks, by the way, which I don't know what a lot of people are talking about right now, is shaping up as possibly the host of the year, okay, with Phillies like Dominion and Speech and, and Swiss Skydiver and, and She Dares the Devil. I mean, that's going to be a fantastic Kentucky Oaks. And, yeah, you lost a couple of horses. You lost a, a Venetian Harbor that, that doesn't want to go there in total shape that realized, you know what, we're not good enough. But at least they're not ducking. They've they've run against these horses before and realized they're not good enough. And and I'll take my I'll take my hat off to those guys. But but other than that, you see that all the time. Look at Monomoy Girl and and the rest of that division. Right? Monomoy Girl is going where the rest of the division is not. Midnight Vista goes here. I'm going to go there. Right? And, and, and so in 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 a division, especially in a two division where you know races are so few and far between the top elite races, and yet they're still able to find spots to duck one another and not have to run against each other until the Breeders' Cup. People forget that Rachel, Alexandra, and Zinata were in training the same year. They never ran against each other. But and, and, and think about the excitement that was going on when it looked like they were finally going to hook up in the Apple Blossom at Oakland. Yeah. Right? And then eventually Rachel got hurt and, and had to retire, didn't make the race. But I, I remember, like, people who weren't, like, diehard racing fans we're getting excited about the apple blossom in, in April to see these two fillies running against each other. And that's, that's something that this has missed for a long, long time. Yeah. That's one of the thing. one of the downsides to, well, one of the downsides, if you think about the series now, we have a series of uh, an unwitting series of races early in the season for older horses around two turns. Uh, the Pegasus, which, I'm not sure if it's going to survive, uh, you know, with the competition from Saudi Arabia and Dubai. But you have the Pegasus, you have the Saudi Arabian race, and you have Dubai. Well, effectively, and yes, I understand. Like we can watch them, and and uh, it's not, you know, these days we can watch races from anywhere. But you're the Pegasus is very, very, very early in the season. And it seems like it's been kind of a career capper for most horses in that they win that race and uh, gun runner and, and uh, uh, you know. Arrogate. Arrogate, right. They, they, they win that race and, and they head right to stud. So it's, it's a career capper, not a kickoff for the season. It's not a, a starting point. It's kind of an ending point. And because of the distance that they have to fly to go over there, you're essentially taking a lot of the best horses in training, the older males going a distance on the dirt, and, and the first six months of the year we don't see them. They're 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 not here, and and I think that that plays a part in um, in kind of the, the you know making the, the stirring things up. And the Santa Anita Handicap used to be the biggest uh, springtime race for. Three and up, boy, uh, old, well, three and up, but older, older handicap horses. The the Don handicap, which has been replaced now by by the the Pegasus, 
was a, a big race, the Gulfstream Park Handicap. And it was kind of a, a starting point of the of the year. The Santa Anita Handicap was was kind of a – sometimes you get those Stroob Series horses, the four-year-olds taking sure. on the older horses. And and now that's all kind of gone. And it, it's made it um, for for those type of horses. You, you, you've made it kind of a six-month – or not even a six-month. You take away December and – and you know you have a half a year campaign, and uh... well, the thing. Listen, the thing that's going to be interesting, and this, this, the, if if anything good comes from the pandemic, comes from the the lowering of purses and everything else, is maybe we can now get creative. Listen, before when you talked about the sales and, and uh, people were trying to hit that home run and get that grade one winner. Well, you know what? Back then you won a grade one. You you, you made six hundred thousand. You made three hundred fifty thousand for winning the race. You can retire in the You can retire to be a broodmare. Now, if the race is a buck fifty, the race is two hundred thousand, and you're making ninety thousand. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, it's not enough. So you can't just sit there and run four times a year. You know, you gotta you gotta keep trying to trying to earn. And maybe these racetracks can stop bickering with each other and come up with a series and come up with things that will allow them to kind of create some kind of a program. Instead, right now, let me give you a perfect example right now, because I got a, I got a nice three-year-old filly, so you're, you know you start looking at down the line having to run against older horses and things like that. On the weekend of October 4th and 5th, which is the Preakness weekend, we're going to have the win in your in Senyata Stakes in Santa Anita. We're going to have the win in your in uh, Spinster Stakes, $400,000 in Keeneland. We're going to have the Belding, which is now 250, grade two. And you're going to have the black-eyed Susan, which they haven't come out with the first year, but I imagine it would be 250. You're going to have four horses for the same division going basically the same distance. I think every one of those races is going to be a mile and an eighth on the same day. You can, if you can name 20 older fillies, three-year-old and up fillies in the division right now, they're going to run in those four races, right. then I'd be shocked. No, I, I hear you, I, and, I, and I get like the Black Eyed Susan is usually held in May, yeah, yeah, not of now, course, of course. but but, but still, but like you, you, your right. point, your point is is is, is well made, and and uh, yeah, you know, it's uh... look. I think look at, at the end of the day, the 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 dialogue has started. The dialogue's been good, but we've talked and talked and talked for years. We got to stop talking and just start doing. We need to come together collectively and just start doing. Stop complaining about, uh, you know, the, what the stewards did here or what the stewards did there. Make it so they're clear-cut rules. Stop, stop, stop complaining about, uh, you know, the lack of transparency, the lack of this. Just let's do it. Let's just let's, let's all get together. Let's all get on the same page and let's just do it and give us some, some sort of a fighting chance to, to keep this sport going. For our kids and our grandkids. I don't have any kids, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you adopted me along the line about 15 years ago. So yeah, you, you and not, even though you're not that much older than you, you and that, several so. others, <laughs> either even larger in stature than you. But uh, <laughs> I think it's a good time to tell everyone that Chad Summers knows how to cut hair. Listen, whenever you're ready. <laughs> me? <laughs> it ain't happening, it'll about, man. It'll be about, it'll be about ninety seconds. Yeah, bro. get paid by the second. I, I I make I make barbers pissed off, man. They, they see people I like me. I always thought you looked like Bill from that from that thing. Guess who? I don't know who that I is. I always thought you were. You know, when you put the glasses on, 
without the straw hat. You know, I know you always like to pay homage to the Chief, and, and he busts out that straw hat from time to time. But, you know, I always thought you looked like Bill from the, the, the show Guess Who. I never saw that show. I never watched TV outside of No, it was a game. Racing. It was a game. It was a game. I don't know. You confused me. But you were busy hosting the roof. You didn't have time for games. I, I didn't have time for games. <laughs> now now I have too much time for games. But, uh, yeah, it, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to see so many things that could be done that, and nothing gets done. And, it's, ugh. and then we have committees and we I mean, have look, meetings. You, you've, and sat on, you've sat on boards before. You've, you've been to racetracks around the country. Do you feel at least, look, you, you, you have a bit of a platform now as this, uh, as this show kind of begins, the podcast begins to, to pick up steam and, and pick up followers by the day and, and, and kind of the grassroots operation that you and Barry are kind of running over there. Do you feel like at this point now there's enough frustration amongst people around the country in this industry that, that we can start to maybe finally have that hard conversation and finally make that change that we need to make? No. Because it's not the people that that need to make the change. We can talk all we want, but until the people that actually have the authority and the power and, and when until they get the will to try to do something and, and what it's gonna take, and I've said this before, is in order to move forward there has to be some sacrifice. But the sacrifice has to be done by those that are considered the haves now whether it be racetracks, whether it be trainers, whether it be owners, they've got to give something because the other people don't have anything to give. They don't have anything to sacrifice. And you have, I mean, we've talked about the problems ad nauseum and people are probably sick of hearing it, but we need to to come up with um, not just things that, um, plans for the top horses, for the Breeders' Cup, for those kind of things. We we need to worry about the guys that fill the Thursday and Friday cards because, hey, there's not going to be many Wednesday cards at places anymore. And um, the tracks seem to have gotten over this this obsession of, of running. Everybody runs Mondays and Tuesdays. But the, the, the meat and potatoes guys are getting murdered in this business. Murdered. They they don't think they can compete, and that well, hasn't right. changed. They're, and they're, they're and they right, are though. right, but they're right. And and like Mark Cassie had good intentions when he said this um, on the during the Jockey Club um, panel, but he panned state bred races. The problem is that guys like Mark Cassie don't need state bred races because they have hundreds of good horses. Other people need those races. They don't want to just have 62-5 claimers. And yes, state-bred races in general are a lesser because they're restricted to, to horses that are state-breds. Uh, yes, they're lesser quality in general than open races. But they still can create competitive races. They can still give an owner a, a, an order that doesn't have the money to breed to uh, into mischief. A, a chance to breed to a local stallion. And get a decent horse, and and go through the conditions, and make their money back, and have enough money to reinvest. And 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 I get that this owning horses is not something that you should be doing if you need to make the money at it. Uh, 
certainly from a trainer's standpoint, it's your business, it's what you do, and and, and it's it a lot different than an owner who who should be doing this, um, you know, using discretionary funds, not not their last penny. But there's a place for those, and a lot of states absolutely positively couldn't run a card. They couldn't run a card in Louisiana without Louisiana breads. New Mexico breads in New Mexico. Cow breads. How, how, how would they get cards to go in California if they didn't have cow breads? New York breads. Look how many New York bread races. When I was a kid, there was a law stating that they had to run a New York bread race every day. And if they didn't run one on Wednesday, they had to run two on Thursday. Something to that effect. And it, that program grew and grew and grew. And you, you have uh, the huge, overwhelming favorite for the Kentucky Derby who's already won the Belmont, already won the Travers, is a New York bred. And yes, he's by a non decidedly non-New York bred stallion. But but that's the thing is that guys uh, standing in the position that Mark Cassie is standing in they don't see they see it as a a detriment but the vast majority of people don't see it that way they see it the opposite way and i understand that's why he he sees it from the way he sees it because of of what he has to deal with and and what you know his his view but we all see racing through a different prism and the the guys at the top of the the food chain they've gotten everything they've gotten a lot of things handed to them a lot of well, things. and they're also they're, listen. They're also the only ones with a voice. Well, you know, those, they, those, listen, I, and I'm not saying that they don't work hard or this or that, but no, they they get way, way, way too many stalls. They've broken all the rules to give these guys as, uh, literally as many stalls as they need. And every time you look up and there's a race, <laughs> it's a five horse race, and there's a one to five shot in it. It's not the Chad Summers type trainers that have that favorite it's always those guys well that's 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 that part is is what gets to be really frustrating because they'll make races go at all of these big racetracks right with five and six horse fields and you'll see two of the super trainers in the race right and they have the the one heavy favorite and the other one might even be the second choice or whatever but they'll use it with five they'll use it with six and and we'll run a horse that we can't wait to run we were second last time from eight and thirty and there's six in there, there's seven in there, there's eight in there. And they're bringing it back while still using races that have five in it for the, for the other guys. And that's where it gets infuriating. And that's where it gets frustrating. That's where it gets very, very difficult to compete in this, in this sport. Because your horse is not on that and dirty. You need that purse, right? You need to try and make payroll. You need to pay workers' comp. You need to pay your fees. So you need that race to go. you got a horse that's sitting on a win. And they're carrying that race back for four or five days. Uh, and they'll get to it when they get to it, you know, trying to get, trying to build that race up to nine or ten. But they're using the two other than allowance race with an eighty-five thousand dollar purse with five because, you know, Todd's using that as a prep race for, for some stake race down the road, which might not even be at your track, by the way. It might be somewhere else. But they don't want to upset the bigger guys, and they don't. They, they've just really turned the deaf ear, uh, time in and time out on on the little guy. And, and that's that's been the part of the, part of the uh, the industry that's been really really tough. And, you know, you talk about you know super trainers and and, and stalls, and I, I know you're not that old, Chuck. But if it wasn't for people saying, "Yeah, give that guy some horses," who knows how long you would have been an assistant for? You you went out on your own in part 
with the help of, of, of people who you were already working for, who said, no, I don't want more horses. Give them the chuck. He's ready. Well, that, that's how Billy Badgett got started. That's how Phil Gleaves got started. That's how David Donk got started. They, they, they got started with Woody Stevens' cast-offs. And the cast-offs were great, really good horses, really good horses. And it's 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 a problem. And and you know people say, well, well, you had a couple hundred empty stalls at Saratoga last year. There was no COVID last year. At Saratoga, there was a couple hundred empty stalls. You have a problem in Florida in the winter time, and that a lot of these outfits come down here and they don't run very much because it doesn't make economic sense to run for a forty thousand dollar purse or forty six thousand dollar purse. When you can go wait that out, go to Keeneland and run for eighty or ninety, or go back to New York and run for eighty or ninety when things are normal, and even when you get to New York, you you have short fields. You're running four days a week because seven or eight guys have all the good horses, and you go to California, which is kind of an island, and you got sixteen or seventeen hundred horses on the backside of, and and half of them are controlled by five or six guys. It makes it impossible to make races, and, and it's just math. And everybody wants to say, well, free market and all this nonsense. You should be able to give your horse to whoever you want to, which is true. You should be able to give your horse to whoever you want to. That doesn't mean that the trainer should just be able to get as many stalls as they want. At some point, and we're at it. I mean, we're at that point that when the full crop keeps dropping, as the standard for allowing horses to race gets higher, when you're you're scratching more horses because of, of the vet's not comfortable with them running, the pool of, of horses gets smaller and smaller. Well, if the big guys still have, this guy's got 150, this guy's got 200, this guy's got 300, this guy's got 200, they're not the ones losing the horses. It's everybody else. And if Alabama and... Uh, LSU were, were the only two teams left in the SEC, and everybody else went out of business. People would get sick of watching Alabama and LSU play every week. It wouldn't make much of a championship game because they've already played each other six or seven times. And well, it's not, I, an, I, it's I, not I, a perfect analogy, but it, it, it's, it's, it's true in that the, the big outfits aren't losing the horses. It's everybody else is. And there's just not enough competition I mean, what are they going to do? Just run? Listen, mark my words. The day that a track starts to allow a trainer to run three horses in overnight races, it's over. It's literally over at that point. But you know what? It's even it's even done it's even done within our, our own sport over here. There are trainers that that retire, and you say, okay, well, who's getting the horses? And uh, yeah, they're going to go to Todd Fletcher and uh, Robert Dino Diodoro, like. Really? Like you you've done it. You've seen, you know, you know a bunch of guys. You're friends with a bunch of people who who are middle of the road who would love to, to get an opportunity to get a couple of nice horses. Uh, you know, the, they they do the best over there, so we got to we got to, you know, give them the horses. And, and but if you if you look at the end of the day, if you look at the model of every other country, right? Take Hong Kong. Hong Kong has a max, right? I believe it's 30 or 40 horses max. That's all you're allowed to have. They, and they, they have a max amount of horses that every trainer is allowed to have. And you know what? They have more money wagered per race in Hong Kong than anywhere else in the world. So that system, that system works a little bit. You look in Dubai, Sheikh Mohammed, he can give horses to, all of his horses to one trainer, 
He doesn't do that. He uses multiple trainers, and then he'll give it. Look, there was a horse when I was there a few years ago. The horse ran in the Dubai World Cup, okay? It was owned by a 12-year-old. It was once owned by Sheikh Mohammed. He decided that, you know, didn't fit his program. Gifted the horse to the kid's father. The kid's father gifted it to him. The kid's 12 years old. He's got a horse running in the Dubai World Cup, right? And, and with, with a smaller trainer and, you know, things of that nature. So they get it. They see it from from the other the other side of things. Even even if you look at Godolphin here in, in, in America, right, they use Kieran McLaughlin forever. They use Tom Albatroni. But they also have strings with Omen Hardy, with Mike Sidham, with Bill Mott, with Brad Cox. They're diversified. They, they, they have nine different trainers. Shadwell has five different trainers. For years, one of my favorite people in the world, Danny Pites, how many times he always has five or six from Shadwell. They keep him going. And does a great job. Yeah. So, and, so you know, I want to make this statement, too. I don't blame the trainers. It's not the trainer's fault. No. The trainers, listen, it's like driving down the highway. If the speed limit's it's 75, but the cops don't bother pulling anyone over, we'll know who's going to drive it. If there's no deterrent, if there's no rules, or if there's no speed limit at all, which is kind of what it is now, there's there's no limit at all. So why wouldn't and And you know what? I've talked to some of the guys about it, and I have nothing against any of them. None of them. They're, they're successful. They're really successful. They're doing great jobs. They work extremely hard. There's no sure. doubt about that. But they, you know what they say? Well, listen, if Chuck, if I don't take the horse, you're just going to give it to the, you know, that other you know, super trainer sure. B or super trainer C, so I might as well take it. And this, again, it's the tracks have let this happen because the tracks have ignored their own rules. Most everything that happens in racing can be stopped by the racetracks, but they won't do it. And they've let things get out of hand in, in so many ways. And you get to this point where there's going to be nobody left to fill the, the cards. You're going to be – I mean, are we going to get to where we're just racing weekends and, and, and the, at the big tracks? And if you look at the racing program in Kentucky, you don't have a whole lot of, of, of uh, short fields like you'd see other places. And yes, the racing there is distinctly different from Keeneland and Churchill. To uh, Ellis is not quite as different as it, as it used to be. And Turfway, it, it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But you know, Turfway, five months out of the year is decidedly non-A level racing. But the summer and in, in, Keeneland and Churchill are full of full fields. Guys run, but there's a better distribution of the horses. And yes, Asmussen's still there. And Brad Cox is there. But, was there. But but Brad Cox doesn't have 125 horses at Churchill, or 200. Look, I, I think the program the program has a lot to do with it and the way the relationship that things go. Uh, and you know this well, right? Your friend Carla Beccarese is up in Kentucky right now. I was at Ellis Park for their big day, right, for the Oaks and the Derby a few weeks ago. And there was an overwhelming favorite in the Derby Art Collector, okay? And Art Collector is going to be the second choice in the Derby. And you know what? They still had 12 horses up to compete against him, to, to try and beat him, to run for second, third, and fourth. Uh, Street Band, who had run in the Breeders' Cup last year, was in a $100,000 overnight stake, full field of 11. I was in the Oaks. We had a full field of 11 in there. I mean, and, and about as competitive an overnight stake race as I've ever seen in my life. And you know how many horses were stable at Ellis Park? Maybe two. Yeah. Maybe two. You had nine horses shipping in from other parts of the country to, to, to run in there. Because 
they, they welcome you there. They're encouraging you there. When you run in other places, they don't want you there. For, I, I ran a horse the other day for, for Mike Denny in a grade two. He, shipped the, he drove the van himself from New Jersey to New York, and they said, well, you can go watch the race across the street at a bar or something like that. I don't know if I, I, listen, I, I don't know if I'd let Denny either, man. He comes with a, <laughs> he wears that same jacket for 30 years. It doesn't fit him anymore either. Anyways, we got about 15 seconds. You got any 100 to 1 shots you're going to win with in the next week or so? The next week or so. We won with a 36 to 1 shot two weeks ago. Yeah, we all know. None of us had it. On closing day, he's going to run September 7th. And and, uh, Sarah Tug will see if we get lucky again. We missed the wedding. We don't want to be at the funeral. Chad, (laughs) thank you for for joining us. uh, Of course, Chuck, anytime. We'll talk good luck uh, wherever it is you're racing. Uh, keep and up the good work. That's it for today. We've run out of time. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Cherie DeVoe and Chad Brown and our correspondent Dave from Saratoga. Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon.